Good morning. Welcome to Horizon. Good to see y'all. Great job, fellas. It's amazing how they train that eagle to hold a camera, isn't it? I mean, that is crazy. Um, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Ryan. I direct our student ministry here at Horizon. And uh, today, obviously, we're talking about eagles and hawks. Um, so to start that, I'm going to bring out two new friends of mine. One is uh, Charlene and the other is Donna. And they work for uh, Raptor Inc., which is based here in Milford. And they're going to show us a sweet bird of prey. So come on out, ladies. Good morning, everyone. My name is Charlene, and this is Donna with Lucy, and Lucy being the bird. Um, And we're here to talk to you a little bit about uh, the eyes of the falcon, as, as well as the hawk and the eagle. And we are from Raptor Incorporated, which is a facility for injured birds, We take in uh, injured birds um, that are raptors, birds of prey. And uh, Lucy here is one of our non-releasable educational ambassadors. So we also do programs with our ambassadors to give you a better idea of these magnificent birds that are in our area. So we're talking about the eyes of these raptors. And the eyes are very, very remarkable because they can see things that we cannot. So it's estimated that their um, ability to see the distance is two to eight times greater than ours. And we were explaining to the children that if you put 17 football fields together, that's about the distance that they can see. So extremely, extremely good vision, much better than ours. Now, also, the raptors have very large eyes. So in comparison with their skull, their eyes are much larger than us. And the reason for that is that they have, we have two kinds of cells in our eyes. We have rods and cones. And rods are for light and cones are for color. And the average human has about 30,000 cones in their eyes. And so that enables us to do detailed work such as reading, watching television or sewing or something that requires a lot of detail. Raptors have a million. So that gives them the ability to see color that we cannot see. So they see all the colors that we do, but they even see more. So when a raptor is hunting across those 17 football fields, they can see that brown rabbit in a patch of brown grass on a patch of brown dirt. They're ability to see that detail is unparalleled. And they can also see ultraviolet. So what makes that really interesting is that raptors can actually follow a urine trail of an animal back to where it's hiding so it can find its prey. So they have these very large eyes packed with these cones and rods to see the detail. But with a falcon here, not only 
does it need to see the detail, but it also needs to judge when it's going to strike its air. So it has a strike its prey in midair. So a falcon is a hunter of birds, such as pigeons and sparrows. And so it, when it sees its prey, it has to make those judgments through its eyes about exactly when it's going to strike that prey in midair. So just amazing abilities. Now, they also have some special adaptations that help them because that color certainly is important because they want to make sure they're distinguishing their prey from other birds of their kind and also predators because falcons certainly aren't the largest of raptors. There are birds that are larger than them that could be predators of this bird. So they need to be able to do that. But one of the things that is much different about their eyes than our eyes is that their eyes are fixed in their head. They can't move them. They can't move them left to right, up and down like we can. And so what they have is increased flexibility in their necks that allow them to move their head all around so that they can actually see what they need to see because it's like looking through a pair of binoculars for them. They can only see in the direction their eyes are facing. So we have seven bones in our neck. They have 14. So 14 bones gives them that flexibility. Also, with their eyes, they have a bony ridge, a bone that goes completely around their eyes to protect their eyes and keep it in that socket. Because their eyes aren't round, they're more of a cone, not a cone shape, a cylinder shape. And... They have a third eyelid. So we have two eyelids, a top and a bottom, and they have those as well. That enables them to close their eyes. But they also have a third eyelid that goes across their eye. And it's a semi-transparent membrane called a nictitating membrane that they can actually see through. So when the falcon here, which is the fastest animal in the world, so when it's hunting and starts its dive to catch its prey, it can go in excess of 200 miles an hour. That nictitating membrane closes and acts as a pair of goggles and protects their eye from the dust and the dirt that's in the air, from their eyes drying out, keeps their eyes moist. So that nictitating membrane really helps in protecting their eye. They also have a bony ridge above their eye, which acts as a sun visor. So they're daytime birds. They're hunting during the day. On a sunny day, they can't wear a pair of sunglasses like we can. So that bony ridge protects their eye so that the sun glare does not bother them. Also, look at those dark patches under her eyes. Those dark patches also help with that sun glare. This is where athletes get that idea. When you see those baseball and football soccer players with the black under their eye, they learn that from animals. So everything about these magnificent birds help them with their vision 
to hunt and be successful in our world. So the next time you're out uh, driving along the road and you see a big bird like a hawk sitting in a tree and on a post and you're wondering what they're looking at, they're looking at something that you can't even see. That vision is so good. Well, thank you so much for having us here today. If you're interested in learning about raptors, please come and visit us at our facility. Our open houses start next week. I always say next week. Next month. And it's always the last Sunday of the month. It's free to the public from 1 to 4. Thank you very much for inviting us. All right. Thank you, Charlene and Donna. Learned a ton there. A lot of that will apply to today, which is fun. Um, Well, again, my name is Ryan. Uh, It's good to be with you. So the first time I was asked to share here in the main stage, um, they asked me to talk about gluttony, which I kind of poked some fun at Chad, like you're giving me gluttony out of the gate. Um, Well, then today, you know, a few months ago, he was like, hey, I need you to talk about like an eagle. And I'm like, are you talking like a bald eagle, Chad? Like, is that... Where this is heading, like, is every talk going to be about one of my physical deficiencies? Um, So who knows what I'll be uh, tasked with next, but I'm glad to be with you as we continue our journey through this In the Wild series, which has been a look at the life and times of a man named Job. And Job is a guy that loses everything in a single day. That in one day, he loses his family, he loses his wealth, he loses his servants, and he even begins to lose his health, being just covered in sores. In the midst of that, he's processing this pain as we all would. And he's trying to figure out what in the world is going on with his life. And he's talking to his friends and his wife, getting some kind of bad advice typically. And he arrives at a point where he is just angry at God. And that's what we've been looking at. He's calling God on the carpet. He's saying, hey, God, you owe me some answers. You've got some explaining to do. Probably not a smart idea. Uh, But God answers him. And, And unfortunately, it's not crystal clear. I wish it was. It would make our lives a lot easier. Um, But God does take him to the animal kingdom. And he talks about a variety of animals that we've been looking at. And today we're going to be looking at the hawk and the eagle. Um, But first, I want to take you back. So several years ago, we signed our son Jack up for his first season of baseball. Okay, so he's about five years old. There's a picture of him popped up there. He's a cute little guy. He's got his new glove, his new bath, shiny white ball. And we're walking up to the first day of practice. Okay, and he's just bouncing. He's so excited. Um... And we get there, and there's about 15 or 16 other little boys and girls there. Same thing. They're just excited. And and the coach calls them together like coaches do, right? He's like, gather around, guys. You know, and they all come in. And he kind of does a little bit of normal coach stuff, like, glad you guys are here, yada, yada. Um, But then he shares three interesting things, okay? (laughs) He says, so just so you guys know, I've never played baseball. (laughs) Okay. Um, And I've never even coached. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And then he goes on to drop the bombshell. And really, I'm just here because my wife wants me to hang out more with my son. And his son, kid you not, is eating dirt at that exact moment. Um, Total craziness. Um, So he starts practice, okay? And it is like a pinata just explodes. And five-year-olds go everywhere with no instruction. um, And half of them are on one side of the field. And they're playing toss in quotation marks, okay? Um, Really, what has developed is a very high-stakes game of dodgeball, right? (laughs) Because five-year-olds can all throw, but none of them can catch, okay? So it is like, throw this hard object, and over here, it is like, just kind of duck, 
right? And hope it doesn't hit you in the face. Um, they are literally just playing fetch. As one kid's throwing it, the other kid's hoping it doesn't hit him, going and picking up and throwing it back. Um, meanwhile, on the other side of the field, in the dugout, where my son is, they've all been given their bats, all right? So... <laughs> Real smart. Give your five-year-olds bats with no instruction or helmets at this point. And they are all just swinging bats every possible way, up, down, between their legs. I mean, it looks like a lightsaber battle happening in front of us. Like they're literally mini Paul Bunyans working their way across the forest. And in that moment, all of the parents that are in the stands, myself included, we kind of make this horrified eye contact. And we're like, is he not seeing this? Like there was a smorgasbord of emergency room visits about to happen. What is he, why is he not doing anything? Does he not care? Does he not have the capability? But either way, we don't trust him. So we kind of all unceremoniously got out of our seats on the bleachers and, and kind of, you know, self-donned ourselves as assistant coaches. And we brought some order to the chaos. And, and thankfully, no kids got hurt that day. Um, but the season was, of course, terrible <laughs> with him as the coach. But I have to think... That is, Job is in the middle of that day where everything is unraveling. Just loss after loss after loss. That he had to have been looking up and saying, Hey, hey God, are you seeing this? Like, like are you seeing the, my life unraveling so quickly in front of me? And, and if you are, do you not care? Like, do you not care that, that my life is falling apart? Or can you not do anything about it? Well, either way, God, I'm not sure I trust you because what's happening is not fun right now. And I'm wondering if you've been there, if you've had a point in your life where you've had a day or a season where things have just fallen apart, where the train has just come off the tracks. Maybe it's a tough season in your marriage where you're both feeling unseen and unappreciated and there's just this day where it boils over. Or maybe it's a tough season in your your business or your career where that contract that you're banking on didn't come through or or that employee you really needed quit or or worse yet maybe it's a medical diagnosis where you walk out of a doctor's office with some sobering sobering news for me i can think of a day like that and it was about a decade ago and i would say it's the the craziest emotional 24 hours of my life um so it sort of starts, and it's, I think it's like a Wednesday, but, you know, it starts and I meet my, my parents at Mercy Anderson, and uh, my dad is having stints put in his heart, and uh, the surgery goes well. He's here today, so that was a, a good thing. Um, surgery goes well. We're kind of happy. You know, I think I might have went out to dinner with my mom. My dad was staying for an overnight. Um, I go home to Becky and the kids, and in the middle of the night, the phone rings. So, of course, I think it's like about my dad because he's in the hospital, um, but instead it's my sister-in-law. And uh, she shares that my brother has overdosed on a painkiller and is unresponsive in an hosp- ambulance on the way to the hospital. So I quickly wake up. I throw on clothes. I know my mom is sleeping blissfully ignorant in their home. I know my dad is in a hospital recovering from heart surgery. And I get to drive and go wake her up. Um, and, and as I'm driving, I get the call that my brother has died, that, that he passed away before um, we could even get there to see him. So I wake up my mom, which was not fun, and we go and we tell my dad. And in a few hours, I find myself, and I'm sitting in the office of uh, E.C. Nury Funeral Homes in Amelia, and we're talking about a funeral. And I remember it hitting me like, 
what in the world just happened, right? Like, how in 24 hours did I go from, like, this day that could have been bad but turned out well with the surgery to, like, I'm planning my last brother's funeral? You know, you're looking up at God, and you're like, God, are you, are you watching? Like, are you on vacation? Like, has there been a, a government shutdown in heaven? Like, what is going on? And here's the temptation when that stuff hits us is to come off of the bleachers, right? And go find God and kind of take the clipboard away as if we could. And, hey, God, I need your whistle. Um, I'm going to restore some order to this chaos that obviously you can't handle. Well, today, my hope is to give you four reasons not to do that. As if you could, right? We can't anyway. But four reasons not to try to take back control of your life. That God is trustworthy. And they come from God's answer to Job about the eagle and the hawk. So Job has asked God some hard questions, and God responds, and he says this. He says, hey, Job, so, so does the hawk fly by your wisdom again? Like, remind me. And does it spread its wings towards the south? Like, Job, are you the one that, like, programmed the hawk's DNA and put through its very nature this, this migration that happened every single year that you know you can count on, like clockwork? Every year these hawks came back. They nested in the same spot. They disappeared and came back. It, it just worked. He's saying, Job, you have n- no idea about that. And, and the animal kingdom's interesting, right? Like just two quick examples. I don't know if you know much about homing pigeons, um, but they, you can take a homing pigeon, all right? Spin it in circles. No, that's a different game. Um, you can take a homing pigeon and, and take it 200 miles away and drop it off, north, south, east, west, doesn't matter, and, and it will find its way home. That's bizarre, right? They think it's maybe electromagnetic with the poles of the earth. They think it could be smell, of all things. Um, they think it could just be sight lines, but they, they really have no idea. Or the largest fish in the ocean. This thing is 40 feet in length. It's 24 tons. It's called a whale shark. We have no idea where they give birth. Right? It's, ni- it's 2019. <laughs> We're sending stuff to Mars, and we don't know where whale sharks give birth. Never been seen, never videotaped. There's some inklings. Well, here's the principle that God's saying to Job. He's saying, hey, Job, in the same way that that you you have no idea why hawks do what they do, there's things that you can trust what I can observe because I've observed things I can trust. The grammar on that was bad, my bad. Um, So the principle is I can trust what I can't observe because I've observed things I can trust. So he's saying, hey, Job, you've seen the hawk, and you don't know why it does that, but you trust it to be true. Do the same with me. And here's what I mean, because that sounds like a phrase you pull out of a fortune cookie. Um, Think about it. We do this every day, that we trust things that we can't see. Like when I step off of this stage, my foot goes down. Well, there's this little thing called gravity happening, right? Like how many of you guys have ever seen gravity? Anybody? I've never seen gravity. I don't know about you. Um, or how many of you guys, right now, this microphone goes to a transmitter and it shoots a radio wave back to Todd in the booth. How many of you guys can see the radio waves right now? No, right? How many can see the sound waves coming out of my mouth and, and entering your ears and hitting your eardrums? Like, we don't see that. Or best yet, how many of you guys can see this wonderful substance in the morning you brew a cup of it and these tiny little molecules waft through the air into your nose and you're like, coffee, Right? We, we have no idea. We, we can't even see things, but we know they're there. And God is telling Job to trust him. But it's hard because sometimes we don't understand God, right? 
Well, here's a question is, would you really want to follow a God that was simple and that you could understand like kindergarten math? Would you really want to give your life to like following this omnipotent being that was like two plus two? Well, no, right? I I think sometimes we think that God is just a little smarter version of us, right? Like you've got a master's, he's got a doctorate, or you've got a doctorate, he's got a few. You know, I'll go to him when it applies, like Sundays and weddings, funerals, dunking people, you know, God stuff. Um, But this is me stuff. Well, in God's words, the difference between he and us is this. He doesn't see it quite the way we do. He says, hey, so for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Ryan, (laughs) nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's saying, hey, it's not even close. Like, we're not even on the same planet. We're not even on the same scale. Like, it is the difference between, like, a supercomputer and, like, a plant. Like, that is the difference in our thought process. So trust me. But here's what I think. I think that I have lost, and and maybe you too, I've lost an appreciation for the mystery of the divine. That in our pockets, in our purses, we have these little devices we pull out, and they answer any question that we might have, right? Like this morning, I was like, who won the Heisman Trophy in 1976, the year I was born? Tony Dorsett. Oh, that's cool. Um, what was the picture of the year in 1976, the year I was born? Rocky. Oh, that's cool. I like Rocky, my favorite movie. Um, we've lost an appreciation for the mystery, but I think we do enjoy mystery, though. Like if you're married or you've dated, think about that first month or so when you're dating in the puppy love stage, right, where everything's a mystery, it's like, what's going to make them laugh? You know, what's their favorite food? Who's their favorite, like, musician? You know, like, should I bring flowers or candy? Or when are we going to kiss? You know, like, all the mystery of the fun parts of that beginning of a relationship. You know, or maybe you have a crazy friend, right? Any of you guys have crazy friends where you're like, man, when we're with her, I have no idea what's going to go down, but it's going to be awesome, right? <laughs> like, he's crazy. We're inviting him to the party. Like, we like mystery, or more personal, how many days do I wake up and it is like, it can be sunny and 80 out and I'm just down. I'm like, I don't know why I'm down. I'm just kind of down. Or I wake up and it's cloudy and rainy and I'm just happy. Like, this is great. It's like my birthday, but it's not. Um, so often I think things, I say things, and I do things that are just a mystery to me. I'm like, why did I say that? Like, ask my wife. She's here. She'll be like, why did you say that? I'm like, I have no idea. (laughs) Well, well, why in a million years, if I can't understand Ryan, can't even understand why I think or say something half the time, would I think I can understand God? Like, I can't figure out me, but I'm going to figure that one out. It's just kind of a fool's errand. And God's saying, hey, even when you don't understand me, you can trust me. And this brings us to our second reason from the verses that, point to why we can trust God. It says, God can see and provide even when he seems distant. He continues in Job. He says, hey, hey, Job, so does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high? He's kind of throwing more shade at Job. Like, you, I'm a lot smarter than you, Job. Um, these eagles, they're golden eagles, and the, we'll pop up a picture here. That's one of their nests. So their nests are as high up 
high up on the cliff sides as they can get because they want the advantage for hunting and for um, safety purposes for nesting. They're way up there. And I think it gives us a great analogy for our relationship with God that sometimes he can feel really distant, right? Like he can feel like he's way up there in the heavens and I'm way down here. And our problems and our struggles, they feel close and they feel tangible like a wetsuit that is just sticking to us, right? I'm like, man, I feel these. <laughs> well, that day when I sat at E.C. Nury in that office, I felt that conflict. I felt the conflict of wanting to connect and needing a God, but feeling like, man, it doesn't feel as real as this pain does right now. If you've felt that, I, w- I want to give you two things to think about that have helped me. And the first is this. It's, uh, have you considered that God's distance actually offers him a greater perspective on your life. With distance comes perspective. A few years ago, I had a very prestigious position called JV head coach of baseball at Turpin High School. You know, it's really high up on my resume. Um, And I inherited this first base coach named Frank. And I called him Frank the Tank because he was awesome. And Frank the Tank was 82 years old, and he weighed 102 pounds, like soaking wet. Like he was just this tiny little guy, and he was just full of life and wisdom. Um, And early on, I was the third base coach. So as a third base coach, your job is to like send runners home, if you've ever seen a coach doing that, um, if you think they can make it. Or you like hold them up, like, whoa, you're not going to make it, right? Well, apparently I'm really bad at that, okay? Um, Because in the first few games, it was like guys were getting mowed down at the plate, and I was holding up guys that could have, like, eaten the lunch while they were walking to the plate. Um, I was just bad at it for whatever reason. And and Frank pulls me aside, and he's like, hey, could I, like, give you some advice about coaching third base? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm obviously really bad at it, so help me out. Um, He said, well, hey, when you, when a ball's hit and a runner's approaching, you walk about five steps towards the outfield, And I said, well, yeah, I'm trying to see the ball and see if the guy's going to field it cleanly and if I can, you know, send a guy. And he said, well, try this. He said, next time, try taking about five steps back towards home when the ball's hit. And he said, I think what will happen is your your field of vision will open up and you'll be able to see the runner and you'll be able to see the ball and you'll be able to make a better decision on whether you should take that risk or not. And obviously, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, because that should have dawned on me, but it didn't. Um, And it really helped that I started making far better decisions. Because when it comes to our life, God has this far greater vision than we do. That we're looking at our lives through a straw, right? And he's looking at our lives through one of those panoramic 360 cameras that real estate agents use, right? Like, that's his view of our life, and this is our view. And we're like, hey, God, what are you doing? And he's like, I can see it all, actually. (laughs) Like, just chill. Um, Second thing that's helped me is that God's distance doesn't actually affect his vision or care. As the lady shared earlier that these eagles and these animals of prey, they have incredible eyesight, right? Just way further than we can even imagine. They can see things from two miles away, a tiny little bunny from two miles away, right? Like, I can barely see the sight of a building from two miles away, and they can see this tiny little bunny. And God's telling Job, he's saying, hey, though I feel far, like, I can see you. Like, my eyes are trained on you, Job. Nothing is going without me catching it. And not only can they see from afar, but they can get there quick. That the peregrine falcons can go 230 miles down, but a golden eagle can go 180 miles down in a dive, 180 miles an hour. That God's saying, hey, Job, not only can I see you, but I can reach you. 
And I can provide for you even when I feel far. But here's the the struggle for me is that I'm emotional, right? Like I feel things. I don't know. Any of you guys feel things? (laughs) That's how we're made. We feel stuff. So my feelings tell me, hey, hey, God feels far away. And this feels really close, right? Um, My feelings are screaming out sometimes like, hey, the train is off the track. You're in trouble. Stuff's going downhill. It's all going to go up in flames. I don't know if you've had those moments. That's what my feelings are saying. But here's what God says. He says, no, you will not be consumed because my compassions fail not. They are new every morning. My circumstances are screaming sometimes that, hey, God has left me. Like he has left the building. He's abandoned me. He's nowhere to be found. I've screwed it up or he's just lost interest. I don't know. Like sometimes I feel that way. But what God says is he says, no, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And nothing can separate you from my love. And that brings us to our second principle or application that I can trust his vision and heart more than my feelings and circumstances. That like our feelings go up and down like the weather in Cincinnati this month, right? Like one day it's negative 10 and you're wearing a toboggan and the next day it's 60 and you break out the flip-flops and it's just, it's confusing. Well, that's our feelings. And circumstances are the same. They just go up and down. So the question before us becomes, well, what are you going to trust in then? Are you going to trust in how you feel and maybe what cards come down your way from the dealer in life? Are you going to trust in a God who says this about himself? He says, hey, I am the same yesterday. I'm the same today and I'm going to be the same forever. Like I don't change. I don't fluctuate. I don't go up and down. The third reason we can trust God from this Selection of verses is that God offers strength and protection during the storms of life. God continues. He's talking about these eagles' nests. And he says, on the rock it dwells and resides. On the crag of the rock and the stronghold. And I love that word crag. It makes me think of like, going back to Rocky, it makes me think of his trainer, Mickey. Anybody ever seen Rocky? And he's like, it's on the crag, Rock. It's on the crag. You know, like this great word. And the crag literally means the teeth of the rock. That this nest is just tucked into the teeth of that hillside and the cliff. Um, and at first glance, you're like, how is that safe for round objects, right? Like, why would you put a huge nest way up high with these things that roll? Well, actually, it's amazingly safe. That, that up that high, they're almost invincible to predators. There's hardly anything that can reach them to eat an egg or to eat an eaglet. And also up that high, they're very protected from the storms that hit because they're tucked in nicely into the nooks and crannies of the cliff and it creates a stronghold because here's the deal like we we never know when storms are going to hit do we like maybe right now for you life is awesome and the market's up and you're like man this is great family's great love my wife love my kids this is awesome but we never know what's coming down the pipe right like wouldn't it be great if like the storms of life worked like the storms of weather We're like, whoa, that's coming over California right now. And the European model says this, but the American model says this. Oh, no, it's in St. Louis. Better head to Kroger's and get 17 cases of water, right? Like, it's it's coming towards me. Well, no, like, we have no idea. So life can be great one day, and the next day, terrible stuff happens. I have a buddy here at Horizon who, who works here, and he's just a great guy. I've known him for two and a half years. And I met him on the first day, and he's encouraging, he's helpful, he's filled with joy. 
just a fun guy to be around. Um, and over the last two and a half years, I've just watched his family face just a litany of health issues just from top to bottom. And, and these aren't things like the flu or broken bones, which are bad, but not terrible. These are all like hospitalizations, long-term effect, incurable, high financial cost, job change requiring, house change requiring, medical stuff, medical issues. It's, he's had an issue, his wife, their child, and his father. And I've watched it and I've been like, how in the world is he not changing, right? Like if that happens to me, like I'm probably getting pretty angry with God. And I'm getting to that joke point where I'm kind of shaking my fist at the heavens and being like, what is going on, God? Like, are you watching? I work at a church. This is supposed to work out for me, right? He could be thinking that. So I asked him, I said, how have you stayed the same? Like, how are you not angry, bitter, resentful? And he wrote me back because I do better with written stuff. So I'm going to read you just two sentences that he shares. And here's what I love about it, that it's authentic. It's not Christianese, like, oh, I just trust God. Man, he's going to share from his heart how they're doing. But then there's this hope that you'll see in here too. He says, Ryan, I do not feel as though I have a choice. God is the only rock I have to stand on. We have often felt like we are stranded in the middle of the ocean with the storm surging around us, the waves crashing over our heads, cold, wet, and nearly drowned, comma, but that rock is always there. And I loved his response because it's real. He's saying, hey, we feel like we're drowning. Like we feel like we're going under, that it's cold, it's wet, it's lonely, doesn't feel fair. But man, we haven't drowned. That rock never changes. It's always there. And and that's kind of what we're resting in. Because truth be told, like a life of trying to follow Christ isn't a life of leisure. It's not an invitation to Disney World with an unlimited credit card, right? That'd be great. No, it's, it's a life of challenge. Right? Like a life following Christ is challenging, just like a life for a Muslim is challenging, or a life for an atheist is challenging, or a life for an agnostic is challenging. Like it's just going to be challenging. There is no way around that. But the promise is, though, is that, hey, in the midst of that challenge, there is this rock, right? In the midst of that challenge, there is that nest tucked into the crag of rock where you can, you can rest and you can ride out a storm. That is the promise that it, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. As Chad put it so eloquently a few weeks ago, that God is not winging it with your life. He's not just making it up as he goes. He's not faking it till he makes it. He's not winging it. He's got a plan. And that's our third principle, that God has a plan for your life, that that nest is where it's supposed to be because it's safe. It's tucked into the crack. Our fourth reason we can trust God in our last one, and maybe the best in my opinion, is that God lets nothing go to waste. God lets nothing go to waste. It continues, he's talking about the nest. It says from there, I'm sorry, talking about the eagle. It says from there it spies out the prey, its eyes observe from afar. So again, there's that two miles. Its young ones suck up blood. It's getting a little vampirish. And where the slain are, there it is. So what's the deal with the twilight verses about sucking up blood and slaying things? And um, Well, here's the deal that God is saying, hey, that eagle, mom or dad eagle, whatever it is, it's a master at bringing life out of death. That it comes across this carcass, this dead animal, and it, it brings life out of that for its eaglets. 
And he's making the implication of Job, hey, I do the same thing. Like, I bring life out of death. Well, here's the deal. I know that some of you are sitting there and you're like, well, you don't know, Ryan. You don't know me. Like, you don't know my life. You don't know the things I've been through. There's things that have happened that I just, I don't think I could ever call them good. I don't think anything's good come out of them. And I would say, I agree, right? That I don't, there's things that have happened in my life that have just been bad. That I look at, I'm like, man, that is just death. There is nothing but death when I look at that. It is hard to sugarcoat it. And I don't think God calls us to sugarcoat it. But here's the silver lining, and here's the beauty of this, is that what God says is that nothing goes to waste. That even that death, that carcass in your life, whether it's an actual death of someone or just a death of a relationship or a dream, that God's saying, hey, I'm going to take and build life out of that. And our last application is this. It is, I can trust that God is looking for ways to use even the dead carcasses of my life to provide and care for me. Early on at UC, I was a history major, and I remember them speaking about the Native Americans and their buffalo hunts. And they had a great respect for the buffalo, but they also had great needs. So they would take down a buffalo, and you may have heard this, but they would use every single part of the buffalo. So they'd eat the meat, they'd use the fat for fuel, they would make instruments out of the bones, they'd use the skin for shelter, clothing, you know, they'd use it all. And when it comes to our life, that's what God does. He uses the good, he uses the bad, he uses the ugly. It's like fertilizer, right? Like fertilizer's not made out of fun stuff. And out of fertilizer comes these beautiful things sometimes. So I think as we finish up here, God's asking us a question that he's asking Job. He's saying, hey, will you trust me? Like, will you trust that I can see you, that I see the problems in your life, I feel what you feel? Will you trust that I'm capable of reaching you, that I'm capable of providing in the midst of that? Will you trust that I'm good? And the question I would ask you to end with is this, is where in your life right now, like, are you about to come out of the stands where you're sitting in the stands of your life and you're watching God and he's kind of directing practice, if you will, and you're getting nervous and anxious. And you're like, God, are you seeing this? Like, what's, what's going on, God? Like, this is not going well. You know, and you burst out of the stands and you go and you want to rip the clipboard out of his hand. You know, you're like, give me the whistle too, God. <laughs> You've lost coaching privileges. Um, where is that happening? And could it be possible that actually God is in control? That actually the, the same words he gave to Job are true for us. And actually, he is working through the details of your life. And here's his promise, and we'll end with this, is that when we lean into him, there's, there's, there's a different kind of life that's available. He says, but those who wait on the Lord, and often, man, is it waiting, right? Like, you just feel like you're waiting. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. All righty. Well, thank you all for coming today. It's been wonderful to be with you. If you ever have questions or want to talk to anybody, um, stop by the hearth room. It's the third door on the left on your way out. If you ever come prepared to make a gift, you can do that in the back. There's boxes. Um, If not, we'll see you next week.